Morning, everyone. And uh, the Bible reading, Amos chapter 7, verses 10 to 17. In the red Bible with the oblong on the front, it's page 921. In the other red Bible with the plain cover, it's page 651. So I'll let you find those. With the oblong on the front, it's page 921. In the other red Bible, it's 651. So we've been following through Amos for quite some weeks now. Last week we did the beginning of chapter 7, Locusts, Fire and a Plumb Line. And today we are introduced to some different characters. Remember that Amos was a shepherd and so the Lord raised him up to speak and to talk to Israel. So we're introduced in verse 10 to Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, and at that time Jeroboam is the king of Israel. All right, so reading from verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you, in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. It's good we have you to to tell us what it's about, Scott. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, yes. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word, that your word uh, is uh, the sword of the spirit. And we pray that uh, as your word is taught uh, in the kids' church and as we hear your word being spoken now, that uh, you, by your spirit, would be uh, changing our minds and changing our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, I was invited to lead in prayer at the Anzac Day service in the town where I lived. 
And it was a prayer that I needed to do some careful thinking about because in front of hundreds of people in a, a community event such as the Anzac Day service, uh, the question was, how much should I say about the death of Jesus uh, for our sins? Now, I've always reckoned that when I'm invited to say something publicly because I'm a Christian, and particularly a Christian leader, that uh, I always want to add um, a pinch of gospel salt. Otherwise, I might as well not be a Christian leader uh, doing the speaking. But on the Anzac Day service, it was, I found it was very tempting uh, to... Uh, to say something in the prayer which would just please the audience um, by reciting some, you know, some inoffensive but godly words um, and with an amen at the end. And, and uh, deliberately because I, I didn't want to um, really add much salt to what I was saying in the prayer. Uh, even worse than that is the temptation that, uh, to speak a, a false gospel at such an occasion. Uh, I've been to Anzac Day services where the, the clergyman, uh, or the, the padre, has been asked to say a few words uh, where he's given false assurances, uh, where he said, these men and these women who served and died are now in heaven because they gave up their lives for others. Whereas the challenge I think is to, uh, is to honour those who have served and those who have fallen, uh, but also to, to warmly speak the gospel. As Paul says uh, that our, about our conversation, that our conversation should always be full of grace and yet seasoned with salt. But, but there are times when we're all tempted uh, each one of us attempted to stay quiet about the gospel when perhaps we should say something. And we do so because we think that it might offend or it might make us unpopular uh, or it might start an argument and so we just choose the easier path of staying quiet. But the question which I want to address today or raise with you is the question of how is it that we can be confident to speak God's word uh, in uh, many and in any uh, circumstance. Of course our situation is different from the prophet Amos. However uh, uh, in our passage today we catch a glimpse of, um, of, of what speaking God's word uh, actually meant and it, what it involved for Amos. Now, in the book of Amos so far, and you may want to have it open in front of you, we've learnt um, almost entirely about the content of Amos's message, of what he preached. But here in the second half of chapter 7, uh, we have described for us a conversation. Uh, and so it's a, it's a conversation between Amos and a priest. Uh, and so it's a change in tone in the book uh, from what we've seen thus far. And it's a conversation between Amos and a priest by the name of Amaziah. And Amaziah, the priest, did not want 
did not want Amos to preach God's word. So let's explore that. Um, firstly, what, what do we know about Amaziah? Uh, as Jackie mentioned, we meet him in verse 10, uh, which reads, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Now, that's just one verse, but there's actually quite a lot that's packed into that one verse. Uh, what does it tell us? Well, Amaziah was the priest at Bethel, and Jeroboam... Uh, was the king of Israel. Now, I mentioned Bethel a, a few weeks back, and, um, but I think that some, if your memory is like mine, I think some revision uh, wouldn't hurt uh, in that regard. Uh, what do we know about Bethel? Well, about 180 years before the ministry of Amos, uh, there was a rebellion in the nation of Israel. Uh, and it was a rebellion which led to the nation being split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom which kept the name Israel and a southern smaller kingdom uh, which was called Judah. Now that split was, um, was led by a man by the name of Jeroboam who became the first king of the northern kingdom Israel. And so he's Jeroboam the first now, uh, in the book of uh, 1 Kings, in chapter 12, um, we learn that Jeroboam was anxious. Uh, he was anxious about his people in the northern kingdom travelling um, across the border into the southern kingdom in order to worship God uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, it makes sense that he'd be nervous about that, don't you think? Because this is a highly politically charged situation and uh, he doesn't want to lose the affection of his people. He doesn't want them to be hankering after the old, you know, Jerusalem and what that represented. And so he set up another place where people could go to to worship God. Uh, a couple of other places, but one of those places was just north of the border at Bethel. Now, this was strategic. Um, geographically strategic because it's as close as you can get to Jerusalem without actually crossing over the border. And he could market it by saying, well, you don't have to bother going all the way into Jerusalem. This is more convenient for you. But it was strategic um, spiritually as well because of what Bethel represented. Abraham had once built an altar there in Bethel. Um, Jacob had had a, a dream at Bethel. Uh, Jacob was the one who named it Bethel, and Bethel means house of God. I mean, what better place to, to go to, to, to worship? Uh, what could be wrong with worshipping God at Bethel? What could be wrong? A uh, couple of things. Um, firstly, it was a deviant religion, because they worshipped the Lord, but they did so through a golden calf. And secondly, because it was political and the king appointed the priests. Uh, listen for a moment to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31, which is when the split happened. It says that Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. Now, who's supposed to appoint priests? 
That's God who appoints priests in Israel, isn't it? And where do the priests come from in Israel? Well, the priests were supposed to come from the tribe of Levi. But Jeroboam didn't care about that because it wasn't about serving God. It was about controlling the people. Now, I think that we should always feel uh, just a tad, if not more, uncomfortable when the relationship between the government and the church is too close. Especially when the government or the monarch, the king or the queen, is the one who makes the senior leadership position appointments in the church. That's wrong for a whole raft of reasons. One of which is that those leadership positions become positions of power and prestige uh, occupied by those who tend to have have a tendency towards uh, enjoying hobnobbing with royalty. And that's true in some places in the world even today. But back to the kingdom being split in Israel and then fast forward 180 years to Amos chapter 7 and in verse 10 we see that there is another king named Jeroboam who is now sitting on the throne. So he is Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the second. And Amaziah is his appointed priest at Bethel. Now, friends, Amaziah would have been up to his neck in compromise. He's an appointee of the king. He presides over a false religion which has served him rather nicely. He enjoys prestige, he enjoys comfort, he enjoys security. And what we see, we see here, just the extent to which he is Im- embedded in a religion which is owned and controlled by the government. And so what's the last thing he, that he needs? Well, the last thing that Amaziah needs as priest at Bethel The last thing he needs is for someone to turn up and to actually preach the word of God. I mean, you can't have that. It'll ruin everything. In fact, uh, whenever the word of God confronts comfortable religion, there will always be a clash. It's why they killed the Lord Jesus, isn't it? And so here, the priest of Bethel had to muzzle Amos. So check out how he did that. First of all, he reports to the king. Let me read verse 10 and 11. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Here's his message. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile. Now, Amaziah, was, he was establishment clergy. He had direct access to the king. So, but what does he tell the king? Does he tell the king that, uh, that a prophet from God has turned up? 
Does he tell the king that the prophet has uh, issued a warning from God? Does he tell the king that uh, in the interests at least of national security that Israel must repent? Is that what he reports? No. He's not interested in what Amos has been saying about, um, about justice and about caring for the poor. And so what he does is he twists what Amos has been preaching. Uh, well, he twists what Amos has been preaching about judgment and it may, he makes it sound like Amos is actually gathering together people in order to... He's, he's conspiring to raise up a rebellion against the king. And uh, that, of course, is a, it's an accusation of treason, isn't it? And it's an accusation which might as well be a death sentence. So um, that's his first approach. He reports to the king. Secondly, Amaziah then confronts Amos, verse 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread and do your prophesying there. So Amaziah gives Amos his marching orders, tells him to pack up his bags and clear out. And notice also that he thinks that Amos is a professional prophet, that he makes his living from going around preaching these kind of things. I mean, why else would anyone be involved in you know, professional religion uh, except to make money? And so he tells Amos to go back to where he came from and to make his money there. But in verse 14, Amos rebuts that. He says, I'm not a, he says to Amaziah, I'm not a professional prophet. I'm not, even, I'm not a son of a prophet, by which uh, that means that as someone who would, was, uh, uh, was being discipled by a prophet. Uh, who, 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 who is he? He says, well, I was a shepherd. You know, I, I took care of sycamore trees. I'm an ordinary man. I'm not a prophet. But yet, the Lord took me, the Lord grabbed hold of me, uh, the Lord took me from tending the flock, and the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord said, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. You see, uh, the priest Amaziah tells him to stop prophesying, but the Lord told him that he should prophesy. So who is he going to obey? Now, thirdly, Amaziah then resorts to intimidation. Um, verse 13. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Well, um, we now know where... Um, Amos was doing his preaching. Uh, you know, he didn't um, muck around with going to some remote sort of out centre where some obscure location. No, he, he positioned himself right in the very heart of the false religion of Israel at Bethel. And so Amaziah reminds him, don't forget whose church this is. <laughs> This is the National Cathedral. You know, this, is the, this is the King's Chapel. Now, that's intimidating, isn't it? It's meant to be intimidating. 
It's saying, get out or suffer the king's wrath. Now, um, I remember some years ago, a young man uh, who was from a country where the government oppresses Christians, he um, came to see me and uh, he'd been um, in conversation with, a, uh, with another Christian uh, person. And the reason he came to see me was because he said, I want to become a Christian. And, uh, you know, I wish people would knock on my door more often <laughs> and say, I'm here because I want to become a Christian. And so we sat down and we spoke at length about the gospel. And I was um, convinced we went through the gospel and I was convinced that he really did know the gospel. He understood the gospel and he believed the gospel. And he was, he was right. He wanted to become a Christian. But, you know, I always uh, want to say to people, All right, you know, cons- you know, you've got to be serious about this. Luke chapter 14, you know, con- consider the cost. And I said to him, well, you know, life could become difficult for you uh, when you return back home as a Christian. And so he he told me about his uncle, who was a Christian. And his uncle was actually a leader of a church. And the authorities told his uncle to stop telling people about Jesus. Now, you know, who are you going to obey? Uh, He refused to obey. um, And as a result, he died in prison. And so his nephew was saying to me, um, yeah, I understand what it could cost me, but the thing is that it's true, and who am I going to obey? So I said, right, we need to pray a prayer of commitment right now, don't we, (laughs) because of that. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles uh, were brought to the leaders of Israel who tried intimidation. It told them not to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus. And do you remember their fearless reply? It was, we must obey God rather than man. And so how did Amos respond to the intimidation of Amaziah? Well, I've got to say, he didn't turn to jelly. Let's pick it up at verse 16. Now then, you see... Amaziah said, stop prophesying. (laughs) And so Amos responds by saying, now then, hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You say this, but this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. Now, as I say, he didn't exactly turn to jelly, did he? Um, he, uh, he was just as clear, he doubled down. Uh, Amos had told, uh, Amaziah had told Amos, do not prophesy against Israel. And so in a sense, Amos says, fine, I'll prophesy against you instead. (laughs) In words which directly impacted Amaziah's priesthood. 
You see, in Leviticus uh, chapter 21, verse 7, a priest was not to be married to a woman who had been a prostitute. Um, Well, Amos says, your wife will become a prostitute. Um, Priests would have a priestly line. Their sons would become priests after them. And Amos says to Amaziah, your priestly line will be wiped out. And in death, you'll be surrounded not by those who are ritually clean, but you'll, be, you'll die in a pagan land, surrounded by paganism. Amaziah had rejected the Lord, and so now the Lord has rejected Amaziah. I know who I'd rather be rejected by, man or God. The question is, how could Amos be so bold? Well, I think there's three things which we see in the passage which, which motivated Amos, which made him tick. Uh, firstly, uh, it was the Lord who took him. He says, I'm not a professional prophet. I, I was just tending my flock, but it was the Lord who, um, who grabbed hold of me. Um, secondly, he knows that it wasn't his message. Um, it was the Lord's message. He keeps on saying, thus saith the Lord. And thirdly, uh, it was the Lord who told him to go and to prophesy, to preach. And so in all of that, Amos is saying, it's not I, it's the Lord. Now, uh, we are not Amos. But what about us? How can we be bold like that? The message which we have is the gospel of Jesus. Um, The gospel which involves um, pointing out sin. It involves warning about judgment. And it involves the love of God in sending Christ to die for our sin so that we can, by faith and repentance, avert that judgment. Now, sometimes I... I really do feel uncomfortable about saying anything to people about sin and judgment. Um, Sometimes I'll be speaking before a whole crowd of people who've not come to hear about sin and judgment. But to not speak about sin and judgment is like knowing that someone is heading for trouble and not telling them about it, not warning them, because we just don't want to upset the ride. We don't want to upset them. Which means that we don't actually get to share with them about how to avert that danger. We don't get to share with them truly about the forgiveness of God through Jesus. We can't understand, we can't be promoting the love of God unless we're actually explaining what it is that Christ has saved us from. And yet, like Amos, we too can be confident. And we can be confident because we know that it's God who has taken hold of us. It is not. It's God who has taken hold of us. We can be confident because the gospel, it's not something, message that we've made up. It's, it's not our message. It's, it's, it's God's message. And, it's, and going out and talking to people about Jesus, it's just not... 
an activity that we dreamt up, God commissions us. God has commissioned us to take this gospel message to all people, to take the gospel even throughout the whole of the world. But more than that, God doesn't leave us alone, does he? Uh, God has uh, strengthened us uh, and he does so by his Holy Spirit, by the Spirit who, who teaches us the words to speak, who gives us the words to speak, and who uh, is the one who changes the, the, the hearts of those who hear the message. Now, recently, I, I got chatting with a man who was a complete stranger. And uh, as we were... As we were talking, we ended up getting into some pretty meaningful territory. But I stopped short of bringing Jesus into the conversation, even though I knew I'd probably never meet him again. Do you know why I stopped short? It was because I was enjoying the conversation. And to my regret, I didn't want to bring that to an abrupt end, which we sometimes wrongly assume is what's going to happen when we sow the seed of the gospel. I say wrongly because we forget who's in control. Uh, I have a friend who, uh, who just loves to bring uh, God and Jesus into the conversation whenever he can. Uh, even when he's doing something very ordinary like uh, when he's, he's telling me that he, was, he went to a new doctor to make an appointment and the Lady at the reception was taking down his details and says, what's your surname? Tells her, her his surname and she says, what's your Christian name? And he says, how did you know? He says, how do, you know, how do I know what? How do you know I was a Christian? Well, we're all Christians, aren't we? Not unless we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not, and so on. That's how people hear the gospel, isn't it? When we're bold to add that pinch of salt but seasoned with grace. You know, I'm so glad that um, 42, I think it's 42 years ago, that the stranger who shared the gospel with me wasn't worried that he might cause me offence. He wasn't worried that he might offend me. Now, of course, often, very often, the gospel will offend and it will cause us to suffer. That shouldn't catch us by surprise. But we press on, don't we? Because like Amos, we know that it's not our message. It's God's message. And God's message, God uses his message to do his work. The gospel is powerful. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Let's be bold for the gospel. Let's not be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for um, your great love in revealing your truth uh, to um, us, your people, that uh, we have been changed by the truth of the gospel and, uh, Father, that uh, the gospel compels us to uh, share it with others. 
Father, we pray that we would be people who are um, used by you to, uh, to, to help others to understand the predicament that they're in and the solution that you offer in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his most precious name. Amen.